Hi, welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. This is Corey Lesnoki. Thanks for joining us. Episode 10 coming your way. Time to get a new barber. We will be talking about the Penn State running back room. The defensive backs, are they probably the strongest part of the Penn State defense? And of course, Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber is retiring. Sean will be joining me in just a second. But first, here is your trivia question for the week. Rob Bolden was the first freshman quarterback to start under Joe Paterno in a season opener. Before him, who and when was the last quarterback to start as a freshman? We will have the answer for that question. And Sean will be joining me um, after this quick little intermission. So, hope you're having a good day. Let's get after it, everybody. Welcome on in to Hardcore Penn State Football. I am Corey Listoki. With me is Sean. Sean, how are you doing today? Doing great, Corey. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, you know, busy Sundays. It's, it's amazing, but somehow Sundays end up being the busiest day for me. Um, and I'm not really sure how much I really like that. Um, but that's just kind of how it's been this past couple, uh, past couple of days. So just kind of trying to get through this as soon as we finish recording. Uh, I will probably make some dinner. Kind of try to do some... Uh, some sort of pasta carbonara tonight. So I'm looking forward to hopefully making a good dish. I'm looking forward to that. Hey, before we start, um, big shout out to Penn State Wrestling. National champions once again, nine of the last 11 years. And um, just really been dominating. They had five individual national champions. So um, Kale Sanderson and company, dynasty. It's the only thing I can, the only word that comes to my head is dynasty. Yeah, best program of college sports. I mean, it's and it's just really not even that close. So, um, shout out to them. Um, I also, since you know this is that time of year where we like to talk about the best bars in the country, Sean, I thought maybe we could start off the show. Well, before we do that, I should just outline the show like I usually do before we start talking about the best bars. We're gonna be talking about running backs today. Uh, we're gonna be talking about defensive backs today. I don't know why I think the RBs and DBs just sounds good to me. So I thought we'd group those two together. Um, spring ball, uh, I believe, starts officially tomorrow, so that that's gonna get going. I think we're gonna do more of a true full spring preview for you uh, next week. Uh, but obviously, we've been kind of going position by position anyway, so take that for what you will. And then we'll talk Sandy Barber retiring, maybe what we want to see in the next athletic director. Um, there is one name that's already kind of been thrown around a little bit, so we'll get to that towards the end of the show. But, Sean, let's start first with the best bar in State College. Obviously, if you're not on Twitter, you might have any idea what I'm talking about. Um, but every year, this best bar challenge happens. I, I'm 99% sure bar, or, uh, yeah, Barstool Sports runs it. And for whatever reason, I mean, I know why. I shouldn't say for whatever reason. Like, I'm um, not aware or I'm ignorant to it. Um, Champ Sports downtown is, is always the... Um, the one, the uh, the representation of Penn State and State College bars in this challenge, and I get it. I get what I get. What Champs is, and I'm not. I'm not a Champs hater. I, I enjoy going there. I think it's a really fun time, especially if you have a group of people that like to go and do fun pool game things, or you like downtown and they are downstairs and they have all the, the you know the different uh, not foosball, pinball. Jeez, they have all the pinball machines and stuff like that. Like I, I get it. It's cool. I don't love it on a busy Friday night before a football game, but hey, on a random Tuesday or a random Wednesday night, you have an opportunity to go down there and check it out. Very, very fun time. However, I do not think it's the best bar in State College, and I'm not just trying to be a hipster. Um, 
I during my time at Penn State, I found other bars to be more fun, um, and other bars I would 100% choose to go to before going to Champs if I return to State College. Um, Sean, I'm gonna let you go first. What are your, some of your favorite bars in State College? And if you had to choose one, not necessarily your favorite one, but one to represent Penn State in the best bar challenge, what would it be? Oh boy, yeah. So I have a very similar opinion to about Champs downtown. I like it. It's a fun place. The food is very good. The drinks are very good. Um, but it would not be my pick uh, as the best bar in State College. Um, I love Cafe Two Twelve. Um, the uh, Buffalo the Buffalo Chicken Dip um, is maybe my favorite food in State College. Uh, I love the first. Um, Old Champs is a great place. It, it Old Champs actually right up the street from my uh, college apartment that I had and we used to go there at least once a week and it's just like new champs except it's except well the food is is just like old is just like new champs uh, downtown um, but it's it's just got a it's got a good feel to it I feel like I'm at home there so maybe it's maybe it's us showing our age a little bit um, but I would probably pick the first to represent uh, uh, State College. Um, it's traditionally where you go uh, the day you turn 21. Uh, it's always fun. There's always uh, every Friday and Saturday. There's live music. Um, their trash cans might be the most famous drink in State College. Um, it's I've never had I, I've never not had a awesome time at the first. If you have an awful if you have an awful time at the first and you're not you're just not fun person I, I just, <laughs> exactly. no other way to say it. i agree with you and by, by the, the way, way cafe, cafe 210. 210 my bad it's okay we will uh we'll forgive you for that i agree with you almost pretty much all the way um i i like the first being the representation i know why the first wouldn't be that representation i get that um not everybody loves 90s music as much as i do um but that i get i get it i get why that's not the case um i also love the first very much the fries i think are fantastic there um, you know, the pitchers of beer actually got a little bit more expensive and they don't, aren't as big of pitchers. I actually went there. When, when did I go there? It happened. I went there last fall. And so, um, was a little disappointed in that part of it. I want to say the pitchers vary in size. They uh, do. I was also, I was also a little intoxicated when I was there last time, but I think I saw people with other size pitchers. They, they do vary in size, but we had, we had a lot of different pitchers that night. And none of the pitchers seem to be the appropriate size. I mean, we are getting maybe three and a half beers out of some of these pitchers. So that was that was frustrating. But the Stars and Stripes are unrivaled. And um, big, big Stars and Stripes guy here. And you get there. And not many places have a nine. Well, I should say that's twice because they do it twice, I believe. Nobody has an early happy hour and a like nine o'clock happy hour on a Friday night, I'm pretty sure. Like, don't they have one from six to eight and then another from like nine to ten or ten to eleven or something on a Friday night? Like I think it's just seven to nine. Oh, maybe it is seven to nine. Okay. Seven to nine because we I actually was just there uh last month and we went for seven to nine happy hour there. Right. That makes sense. Not many places do a seven to nine happy hour on a Friday night like that before. I mean maybe they do it not football weekends, um, but for them to do it on football weekends is, is fantastic. So, um, big first guy. Also, Cafe 210, fantastic place. I think Cafe 210, Monday nights, you can go there. I think it's like 250 for I you know uh, the cups, the teacups. And then you can also get 250 burger baskets. And I remember going there and just burger basking it up. I mean, you can't beat 250 burger baskets. Like, just send them all. Just send me all the burger baskets. Um, big 210 guy. Went there. I probably went to Cafe 210 more than anywhere else because you can go to Cafe 210 and feel like a academic, you know, and do a little bit of homework while you sip on your tea or you, whatever the case may be. And then we also went there for Nittanyville quite a bit as, you know, meetings, if you will. Um, so that was that place we went to a bunch. I think if I had to like, not for the scene of what Barstool would want, but as far as best bar, like just to be there, I, I really like Cafe. It's not really a bar scene as much as it's like a a lounging, chill, hangback 
cool scene, beer garden scene. I don't think that's necessarily in the same category, but Cat by 210 up there. And then finally, I just want to throw out there, and, and people are going to come at us for a lot of different places we're not going to talk about, but one other mention, because I used to go there for trivia every, every Tuesday night. They have a country night as well, which I never actually went to, um, but I picked up Maddie from country night multiple times. Um, but that was Pickles. Big Pickles fan. Um, underrated bar, in my opinion. Not the biggest place in the world. Nothing crazy about it. I think they just do a good job. I really like their fried green beans there, um, which I found are not are not homemade. But that's besides the point. I, I they're, uh, they got like a painkiller there. They got a couple things that are good. Nothing crazy. Um, they do pickle pickle efforts there. But otherwise, I just I'm a big pickles guy. I think they they do a good job there. Um, and I, and I was actually there for the Penn State Illinois game when Penn State played on that first Friday night. I think it was our first ever weekday game. So, um, big pickles guy. Don't really want to see champs doing this best bar thing yet again. They had their opportunity to win it before, and a bar in I want to say it was East Carolina University or maybe it was Coastal Carolina. I don't know which one it was, but somebody beat them, and people were very upset. And I'm I gotta be honest with you, I was kind of happy. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Like I never even vote for it, and I feel bad. But I'm just thinking there there are so many other bars down there that could represent us. Uh, but like you said, it's not always what Barstool is looking for. Uh, I also like pickles. Um, I like their bees knees wings. Uh, it's a tangy flavor. It's it's a it's very unique though. Um, and then there are bars that have closed since I've been in college. Dark Horse, which had, I, in my opinion, the best wings in State College. And uh, The Skeller. And uh, The Skeller was a terrific bar. Um, and I believe, I forget what the place is that's Doggies. there now, but I heard it's fun. What's that? Do- it's called Doggies. And I can, I can 100% without doubt testify that Doggies is a fun place to be. I'm not going to go on and say that, you know, people in the 80s and whatever the case may be are going to be like, oh, no, nothing's better than a Skeller back in the 80s and 90s. Maybe not. But Doggies is a fun place to be. They have a cool beer garden as well. They kept the booths. They shortened the height of the booths a little bit, but they kept a lot of it, at least the last time I was in there, which has been a couple years. Um, But I'm a big Doggies fan, big Doggies fan as well. I think that's a very good underrated bar in State College. And I also agree with you about um, cafe. You could do homework there. I've done. I I remember uh, it was one time I forgot to do a discussion post, and uh, I was taking one class where we had to do discussion posts online for whatever reason, and it didn't hit me till eleven o'clock at at um, at cafe on a Thursday. So a couple pictures in, I, I was able to go and do the um, the discussion post. That's fantastic. But you don't really even feel bad doing it there. It's it's a it's a good vibe. It's an awesome vibe, and you know they have the fifty five days of cafe as well, where you can go every single day. So, um, and the little dark horse. I actually never went to dark horse, but I know G Wiz loved the wings there. So I think G Wiz could testify for you on the wings. Um, We'll move on from that discussion. You know, you guys can tweet us your favorite bars or what we miss, and you can yell at us all you want. Um, but I just thought that conversation could happen because why not? And I'm tired of seeing Barstool and people that are supporting champs being like, if you don't like champs and you're not supporting Penn State or that is the bar for Penn State, and if if, if champs loses, Penn State loses. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. That's, that's not how that works. So, anywho, let's get into the topics today. Um, let's talk running backs, if that's cool with you. Oh, wait, before I do that, before I do that, sorry. Wow, we got 15 minutes in it. I haven't told you the answer to the trivia question yet. So the trivia question today, again, Rob Bolden was the first freshman quarterback to start under Joe Paterno in a season opener. Before him, who and when was the last quarterback to start as a freshman for Penn State? Is that right? I think this is right. We'll hope that this is right. If not, we can clarify and say for Joe Paterno, but I think this is right regardless. So um, the answer to that question is Wally Richardson, 1992. He came into the game against Cincinnati. Uh, They ended up winning that game closely, but then he actually started the next game against Temple, and Penn State did win both of those games. Um, Now I'm not 100% sure if that – I mean, we could go through – 
I mean, I guess I guess not, right? I mean, Hackenberg played right away, right? So yeah, Hack played right away. Um, Trace never started as a freshman. No, and Clifford never started as a freshman. Right. So, but Hackenberg would would obviously be that. And the reason I was thinking about that, of course, Drew Aller, um, come into town, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see him start a game. I would, uh, Sean, I would go as far as saying. I think Drew Aller starts a game next fall. Not necessarily because he's supposed to start. We've had this conversation two episodes ago now, but probably because Sean Clifford gets hurt. But I would not. I would bet. I'd be willing to put ten bucks down that Drew Aller starts a game next fall. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Uh, it's hard to tell the future, but um, if the offensive line can't protect Sean Clifford again, then I think there's a good chance you'll see Drew Aller. Or if we struggle. Because the, you know, the schedule is a little more front loaded this year than last year. If I remember looking at it correctly, I know they've done it. They've done, um, they've edited a little bit, but you know, we start with Purdue, then you know, two weeks later we're playing Auburn. So there, there's going to be some good defensive lines, at least on paper, that we go up against. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be an early sign of optimism because you have. Uh, those games, you play Michigan on the 15th of October at Michigan. You come back and play Minnesota at home, and then you play Ohio State at home. So by the end of October, you're going to know. You're going to know. I mean, obviously, that's, I guess, kind of late in the season. At that point, you only have four games left. But by two, you know, at the end of the, uh, the Ohio State game, we could be, you know, if you're a pessimist, you could say that we'd be 6-6 six and six or something like that. Or, you know, we could have six losses at that point already. So... Yeah, absolutely. It's possible. Um, so that, and that Western, you never know what you get with them. They're a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna. Yeah, who knows? So yeah, that's kind of my thought there. But um, anywho, that 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 was kind of the question. I guess I should have clarified that more. But you guys, you guys understand what I'm saying. Um, you you guys got what I'm throwing down there. So that was the trivia question. Uh, my take of the day, Sean. Uh, obviously, the news regarding Sandy Barber retiring. Um, we can talk more, and we will talk more this episode about Sandy Barber and kind of her replacement and what we you know we want moving forward. But before we do that, I, I do like to at least talk about the people that I at least somewhat personally know. And I don't want to say like me and Sandy are best friends, um, but I do have multiple pictures with her. So I guess you could say we kind of are best friends. Um, I loved Sandy Barber at least from a person perspective. I, I thought she was a nice person to me. I thought she treated me well. Um, and obviously that could have just been the politics of it and she was just going to be nice and whatever the case may be. And people can say that, you know, she was an awful athletic director, et cetera, et cetera. But as far as who she was as a person to me, she was a solid person. Um, she was kind. She was funny. She listened to me. She had conversations with me. She took in my ideas. Um, not only when I was the president of Nittanyville, but also when I helped out on the Penn State Fan Council. Um, and she pretended to think I was funny. So I had an awesome impression of Sandy Barber, and I hope all the best for her, um, and I hope whatever she does next is going to be awesome. I don't necessarily think her and I you know, agree 100% on everything as far as Penn State Athletics goes. I think there's things she could have done and needed to do better, um, and we'll talk about those things. But from just a just a personality perspective, I don't know if Penn State couldn't have done a better job with this hire because Sandy Barber came in and she aligned with James Franklin. I thought they both provided similar energy and uh, at the very least positivity. And they definitely aligned. There was definitely kind of that one team Bill O'Brien vibe to the whole thing. And I think Sandy Barber deserves credit for some of that. And then just the, I mean, go back to the 2016. If you go back and watch the uh, trophy presentation of the Big Ten Championship and the emotion there and tell me Sandy Barber didn't love this university. So big Sandy Barber fan. John, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Obviously, um, you don't need to if if um, that's my take. So Yeah, um, sure. So I never met her personally. Um, but I do know she was always involved in really almost every program. Uh, if you're a Penn State wrestling fan, you'll always see her. Uh, only a few seats, a uh, few set, a few seats away from uh, Kale Sanderson. Um, she was at every football game. I saw her basketball games. 
she was just always around. And a lot of times these athletic directors kind of hide away. And that wasn't really her. Um, I agree with you. Did, did she have some shortcomings? Yeah, in some areas. Um, but I think she tended to always want to do more to fund things. And I think that's really what you want in an athletic director is to show us the money in, in a way. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think her and James Franklin were always um, on the same page with a lot of things. It wasn't like she was an obstacle for the football program. There are some other people who are obstacles for the football program, but it wasn't Sandy. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And I don't think, you know, I can only imagine how difficult that job is as, a, as an athletic director trying to balance what all the coaches want and, you know, what is honestly available and, and don't even get started on all the Title IX stuff that you have, all those hoops you have to also jump through um, as well. Now let's talk running backs. We'll get back to, you know, replacing Sandy Barber a little bit later on in the show. But let's talk running backs. Spring ball right around the corner. Um, running backs for me, Sean, probably the most disappointing part of last season. I know the offensive line was trash. I get that. Uh, we, we beat the hell out of that horse last episode. But I don't care how bad they are. Even Saquon Barkley made some of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen look okay at times. Or he just did it himself anyway. And maybe these guys never had that DNA, and that's maybe not fair to compare them to Saquon Barkley. But they're all they're all blue-chip guys. And right now they have five running backs on the roster that are blue-chip recruits. Um, Noah Kane transferred to LSU. John Lovett is out of eligibility. Just disappointed overall. I know he got banged up, but I'm disappointed with what John Lovett brought. I was really excited for him coming in. Um, but also, it terrified me that when John Lovett came in, he was one of the most explosive running backs we had. Um, I don't know why there's just a lack of explosion with some of these guys. Um, but take a guy like Devin Ford, Sean, who is now going to be in his fourth season, didn't score a touchdown last year, and just is not playing as fast as I think he could play. Um, I don't, where do you want to start with this, Sean? We missed that. We missed that electrifying uh, running running back last year. Uh, and since 2015, uh, from 2015 to 2019, we always had that explosive guy, whether it's Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, or Jeremy Brown. And then last year, we just didn't have that. Uh, you know, if we want to start with the. Uh, uh, Kevon Lee, I like him as a back, but he's never shown any ability to be that home run back that that you really want. Uh, Devin Ford, I agree with you. He just he he does. It's like something's missing with his game. I I can't even really put pinpoint it. Um, he just because sometimes it looks like he's got speed. He he returns kicks, but he just for whatever reason can't seem to do it. And then, um, you know, and I also want to say about Noah Kane, I'm just so I'm so sad for him because he showed such promise his freshman year. And then he got hurt at the begin at the, during the first drive of the 2020 season. And last year, he just he didn't even look close to his old self. So that was disappointing as well. Um, and I agree. Love it. Just didn't do what we needed to do last what we needed him to do. And then Kasiah Holmes redshirted. So we'll see what we get with him. And then the other freshmen we'll see. We'll see as well. Yeah. I uh, want to add to the no cane part too. He had like maybe one or two plays. There's like one or two drives where it was like the Noah Kane drive. And he like caught the ball, ran the ball, and he did everything in the drive. And Penn State scored a touchdown. And you're like, oh, okay. And then we like never, ever, ever saw that again out of not just Noah Kane, but out of the play calling. So I was like, Oh, we're just not that like that was just that that's not gonna happen again. Like we just lost that forever. That was almost like his saying goodbye tour, if you will. Like that was that was just like oh, that's that's it for Noah Kane. Not, nothing but respect for him. I hope you know he gets back closer to home and he finished off his career extremely well. Um, note on Kevon Lee, I don't think they want him to be the home run hero that I want someone to be. I don't think Kevon Lee is ever gonna be that guy. Coach Sider wants this guy to be a bruiser. He wants him to be a punisher. Maybe more of like a Najee Harris-like kind of guy. Maybe maybe more of like, I don't know, Mark Ingram in, in, in when he was in college. I don't really know. 
Kevon Lee just needs to stop thinking he can bounce everything to the outside. That's been said on how many Penn State podcasts throughout history. I don't know. But when Kevon Lee's at his best, I think he was the best last year. I think most people agree. But then he couldn't take care of the football from time to time. I mean, he just he just couldn't 100% win the job that was basically right there for the taking. Um, and maybe that was because they kept putting in different backs. No one got a rhythm. Who knows? But move it. And I didn't think Kevon Lee was going to stay, to be honest with you. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't think he was going to stay. I just didn't think he was going to stay. I thought it would be Ford that would have transferred. I still think Ford is going to transfer. Yeah. I think this spring is going to – there's no way coming out of spring that you keep Kevon Lee, Devin Ford, and Keziah Holmes. Yeah, I don't because, think so either. No, I, I just – I don't think that's possible. You got Nick Singleton and, and Katron Allen coming in, by the way, who – both enrolled early, so they're going to be there from the get-go. Nick Singleton, Gatorade National Player of the Year. Not state, not just the state of Pennsylvania, but National Player of the Year. Um, the only possible knock on him is that they, we don't really know how good of a pass catcher he is because he didn't really catch that many balls um, in high school. But this guy is probably as you know as, as much of a can't-miss prospect as you can probably get. Uh, Katron Allen, not bad either. IMG Academy guy, uh, really solid versatility. He's got solid vision. He does has shown his ability to pass catch. Not a bunch of wear and tear because the IMG Academy, you know, has a lot of really good players. Um, both of these guys, 100% Nick Singleton, maybe even Katron Allen, have potential to play next year because you're going into the season saying whoever the hell wants it, come and get it. I don't see after spring ball. We're gonna sit here and say Nick Singleton is gonna be behind a Devin Ford and a and a Keziah Holmes. I just don't. I don't think that's gonna happen, Sean. No, I don't think so either. Um, that they're prob Nick Singleton is. I if all if he lives up to the hype, which I think he will. Like he he was scoring a touchdown every few carries last year at high school, and I know a lot of that could be chalked up to he was just so much better than everybody else, but that that explosion that I think uh, Mike Yersich and James Franklin have sorely missed. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he is uh, the first freshman starting next year. Uh, true freshman, at least. And uh, Katron Allen, he had a very impressive career, uh, finished it up at IMG Academy. And uh, he he's kind of an old, he kind of watching him he's kind of reminds me of just an old school Penn State running back so I think you know he's no slouch either he was a top 10 running back in the country um and then Kaziah Holmes I'm very interested to see what we do with him um because he did redshirt last year um uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him uh step to the plate next year yeah, I don't know what to expect out of Holmes, to be honest with you. I mean, he ran a couple times last year, but didn't really have much of an opportunity. Um, I don't know. And when you look at these guys, I, I, I'm curious also, Sean, I guess is a better way to say it. I'm curious if they go into it the same way they went into it last year. Like, do they change the game plan? Because nothing's really changed. I mean, you could say Kevon Lee's your starter and give him the first game and let him have the entire first game. You're probably not going to see him do that against Purdue, but you could maybe do that against Ohio and, and Central Michigan at some point. But because the schedule is so front-loaded, I don't really know how much of a an experiment you can really run. You don't have that much time to figure out a guy who's going to get the job done for you. You almost have to figure it out right away or else you're going to be kind of stuck in the exact same trend you were in last season. Well, I'm expecting it to be more committee-based. Uh, that's how they've done it since 2019. So I'm expecting them to try to do that again and not really have the classic bell cow to go to. Um, so, but it's all about who gets the who gets the most carries, um, and that could vary game to game. There could be games where Kate, where uh, uh, Nick Singleton has the hot hand or Kevon Lee has the hot hand. Um, but by the end of the season, um, I kind of think it's going to be Nick Singleton because he's going to give you that extra gear that I just, I'm not sure, at least I think he's going to give you that extra gear that the other guys uh, either haven't proven they've had or that I don't think they have an ability uh, to do. you got to have some sort of home run threat and I think I think Singleton might be the answer for you there. 
I would expect to see Kevon Lee early, and as the season continues to go, more and more Singleton. Once Singleton makes one or two flashy plays and the crowd gets behind it, it's over. I mean, you might as well just say goodnight to the whole thing because that is going to be what it's going to be harder and harder to keep that guy out the field, kind of like what we saw with Saquon. Um, and honestly, you go back to like Saquon's first year, they still played a kill Lynch a bunch early in that year, and some people knock Franklin for that. Um, I'm curious. Especially since you don't have an obvious like Akil Lynch was really good, he, he, I mean, he was really good. Finally, he had his opportunity to start, and then here comes Saquon Barkley. But we don't really have a, a, a full blown starter like we do in Akil Lynch. So I'm curious how committed they are to a, a running back by committee when, or if Nick Singleton is that much better and is showing it early on, especially against Purdue or Auburn. Well, that depends, too, because um, Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders, they were top two round picks. And, you know, Saquon is the best running back prospect of the past 10 or so years. So if Nick Singleton's that good or even close to that good, then you could see a situation where we just ride Nick Singleton most of the game and the other guys kind of rotate in behind him. Um but that remains to be seen. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, though, going back to 2015, I don't I, I think we were all, you know, excited about Saquon Barkley. But the consensus was Akil Lynch was going to be the guy. And then I remember being at the Buffalo game and it's raining out and it's a horrible day. And they hand it to Saquon Barkley and he's jumping over people and making everybody miss. And he has, he just has a whole other gear. And it felt like from that point on, everybody wanted Saquon Barkley to start. And that was only game two or three. So you could see a moment like that for Nick Singleton this year. Yeah, I agree. I th- I, th- I think that that is a potential. Um, I, I, I think everyone just wants to see somebody do something exciting in the running back room. And I don't really care who it is. Because Al Holmes, you want to take the lead, you want to show it, do it. K- Kevon Lee, you're sick and tired of it. Because uh, here's the thing. Penn State would have no issue turning into a bruising team where Kevon Lee runs it for 30 times, and they can just go over the top every once in a while, I'll get the tight ends involved in the play-action game. They're not, not you know, they're okay with that. My question is to you, Sean, if that is a possibility, if they can do that, I'm curious, do you think Mike Yurcich would want to do that? This guy likes throwing the ball around are they going to – would he even be okay with an offense where you're running the rock, pounding it inside all the time? Because he proved last season, sometime I don't even want to do that even if we can do it. Um. Well, that's when James Franklin has to make sure he is doing it. Um, without that much interference from James Franklin, because sometimes I think Franklin can find himself in trouble when he interferes too much in the offense. Um, I think if you have a guy that's so explosive that you can't help but give him the ball, I, I think Yersich would be able to, would be willing to do it. Um, at Ohio State, he he was the co-offense coordinator. He wasn't calling plays there, but he was involved in an offense where you know they like to run the ball because they had J.K. Dobbins. Um, so if they could ha- if they have a guy, I think he would be a- he'd be willing to uh, run the ball. But there, like you said, there were games last year, like the Michigan State game, that we were able to run the ball a little bit, and we just went away from it. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I mean, that's probably obviously the offense line we talked about so much, but really the running back room, as far as competition goes, probably as we look toward the spring and into the summer probably the thing Penn State fans should be paying attention to the most. I mean, the Drew Aller is going to get the headlines. I get that. But I think the running back room is probably where there is the most question mark unknown competition. Yeah, it it's wide open. <laughs> Any one of them could win it. All right. Well, let's, let's switch to DBs um, on the other side of the ball. I would argue right now, Sean, that the defensive backs probably the group, at least defensively, that I feel – the best about what are your thoughts yeah probably i I think the defensive tackles will be will be good again as long as uh pj mustafer comes back strong from his injury uh but i would say the defensive backs um you know i I talked last podcast about joey porter jr i'm a big fan of his uh i think kaylin king 
he might end up being he might end up being the best corner um, of our lifetime. I, I really think he's that good. I think he's that talented. He could do a little bit of everything. And then Jair Brown had a, had an awesome year, and we love J- we both love Jalen Reed. So, and you throw in a nickelback like Daquan Hardy, who played, um, I thought played really really well last year. Uh, he's a little undersized, but he's not afraid to get physical with anybody, and he has good ball skills. He Daquan Hardy, and I agree with everything you just said. Daquan Hardy is like what Lamont Wade was supposed to be. Exactly. I think I've told. I think I've talked about that with other people, and I and I brought up that same point that he he just has he just has an it factor to him. He does. I mean, there was times where Lamont Wade in this in the exact same spot that Hardy was in would get burned one on one, and a lot of times Hardy not only doesn't get burned, but he actually comes down with an interception somehow. So um, Hardy, I think one of the best surprises from last season. And I hope they keep him at that nickel spot. Even if, you know, he could play some more on the outside, I think I think he's perfect right there in that nickel spot. I could see him, you know, having even a chance at the next level. I don't think coverage-wise he's that much worse than a Grant Haley. And Grant Haley, you know, has had multiple opportunities in the NFL, obviously just um, won a Super Bowl. So I think Daquan Hardy is fantastic at the nickel. We talked Kalen King a bunch. I think Kalen King is, is going to be really fun. I've talked to other people about Jalen Reed, and some people think he's still another year away. I think this is going to be a big spring for him. I'm curious how much he plays you know, at the safety. Because you could put Jalen Reed closer to the ball in a more of a 4-2-5 look and have Keaton Ellis play further back. So there's a lot of different things they could do depending on you know who they feel more comfortable in coverage, who they feel more comfortable in run support. Um, and then your final thought here on Joey Porter Jr., I mean, they keep talking about Joey Porter Jr. wanting to cut back on defensive pass interferences. I promise you the very first pass play is going to be a pass interference on Joey Porter Jr. We have talked about the pass interferences way too much, and there's just no way in the college football gods are they going to not let there be a pass interference on Joey Porter Jr. at least the first time they throw it his way. Yeah, I could definitely see that because that's just the way it works, right? Um, yeah, Keaton Ellis, I think he's going to be somebody to watch this year. Uh, he's been he's been there a while. Um, he's got these yo- a lot of young safeties behind him, whether they're the f- true freshmen or um, you know Jalen Reed coming onto the scene. It's going. He's a local kid. Um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, with Keaton Ellis, um, and you know just dealing with the freshmen. He's bounced around from corner to safety. Um, and then we have, you know, we have how many freshmen coming in? Um, Kai Flowers, Christian Driver, and um, Cam Miller, and and uh, Zaki Wheat- Wheatley is a redshirt freshman. Yeah, and, he, and he's moved from corner to safety as well. I mean, there's a lot of guys there um, that could potentially play. I'm still curious if Christian Driver, I mean, based on all the safety depth that they have coming in, I think maybe Driver stays at safety for this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if he turns into a Marquise Wilson kind of guy who could play either side. And Marquise Wilson's another guy where kind of upset with the coaching staff because I don't think they used him enough for how talented he is. And so hopefully they get him on the ball or on the field more this year because he's just too good. He was really good at corner. And if he's going to play wide receiver, fine. But let's get him involved some way, some shape, or form because um, – He's too good to not be around the football. 100%. I think it really set him back last year. Uh, moving, I don't know if it was the move to receiver or just getting less reps at corner. It was probably a combination of both. Um, I think he's going to be back at corner full time. And he's a guy who's a ball hawk. Uh, he plays with, he has a swagger to him. I, I really, really like Marquise Wilson every time I've seen him play uh, at cornerback. Um, another guy is Johnny Dixon. He was transferred from South Carolina. I thought in his time that he got in last year, I thought he held his own. And he's another young guy who I think you're going to be seeing have more and more time this year. And if Porter declares for the draft next year, uh, I could definitely see uh, Johnny Dixon getting in and starting at quarterback opposite uh, Kalen King. Yeah, I mean, there that's the thing that gets me so excited about this defensive back group is there are a lot of guys that you kind of feel good about that have, have played football. And Maybe that's just kind of where all the excitement or the comfortability comes from is knowing where you we've seen a lot of these guys play and that makes you feel better uh, about it all. 
And it's the guys that you don't know is when you start getting more concerned. And that's kind of why that linebacker group, when we discuss it, was it was kind of a bigger deal because we just don't know as much. But with the DBs, we do know. And and, and, and in the, even the guys we don't know, there's a lot of a lot of them and a lot of really highly you know recruited guys that should hope at least some of them should at least be able to help at least a little bit so um i love this defensive back group i think what they've been able to do defensive back i mean just go back 10 years or even five years we are starting to finally have some sort of consistency with not just one or two guys being good but now we're starting to get an army back there and it I mean, that just makes everything so much easier when you know you have guys that can play on an island if they need to. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the recruiting. Uh, Terry Smith might be the best recruiter that Penn State has, and Anthony Poindexter is a great recruiter. So when you, ha- when you're eight, when you have coaches to be able to bring in this talent, it leads to you know people being excited to talk about it. Um, a couple, a few months away from the season, as opposed to really crossing your fingers hoping that the unit is somewhat presentable come fall yeah i i I think that's just the best way to say it i mean that's just kind of sums it up um before we move on from the dbs don't have any official news last week we talked about linebacker gabriel murphy and his twin brother defensive end grayson murphy from north texas kind of jog everyone's memory a little bit there um they committed to ucla and I was like, well, that's that. And, you know, we were talking about how much Penn State needs a linebacker and needs a defensive end. Then it was reported that they were coming to visit this weekend at Penn State. So we thought, okay, maybe there's a good chance. And then it was told to me they are going to commit to Penn State. And they flipped and they're coming. And now I'm hearing that they have reaffirmed their commitment to UCLA. So... It keeps going back and back, you know, back and forth, Sean. I don't really know. Um, I don't know how it's going to end up, but it seems like they're not going to end up getting the Murphy twins, which is kind of a little bit disappointing. Are you saying that college kids change their minds constantly? I'm saying college kids that have opportunities to make a lot of NIL money change their minds even more than college kids. <laughs> right. I totally agree. When there's thousands of dollars on the line, you're you're going to be thinking in a million different directions. Um, yeah, I was all excited when I read on Friday that they were visiting. And um, and then, you know, the news got passed along to me that they were going to commit. And now, apparently, they're not. Uh, they would have really helped. Um, we really need, you know, we were talking about defensive backs today. The best way to help defensive backs is a good pass rush. And... I am kind of worried about us being a- about Penn State being able to rush the passer this year. Uh, so I would have liked to get them, and meh, heck, who knows? <laughs> they flip flopped before, so uh, we'll see when when they're signed. Uh, I didn't even I've never even heard of tra- of people in the portal decommitting. Uh, that's a whole new thing to me. But it doesn't, yeah. you know, it makes sense though that they'd be able to. I mean, you can get deep into the into the transfer portal and, and kind of look for signs on things. And I just think that's a very dangerous game to, to play in general. Looking at the likes of, of, for example, if you look at the likes on Twitter of Grayson Murphy, very UCLA-centered still, even within the last couple of hours. Nothing necessarily makes you believe that Penn State's even kind of part of that conversation. So... They'll just leave it at that. I would be awesome if they get them, but it doesn't look like that's at least going to happen right now. I'm sure um, tomorrow they'll commit to Penn State. So, yeah, it's <laughs> right. It's um, you know, hopefully after you know or during some of these spring practices, hopefully you'll start seeing some other linebackers hit the portal uh, because they got to get them. They got to get them in by May first if they want them to be able to be available this fall. Right, so yeah, that's that's something definitely keep an eye on, um, as far as the transfer portal goes, and we'll keep you updated um, with that moving forward. Been a little bit relatively quiet in the uh, recruiting world. Um, some some guys are getting out to camp. I saw Josh Miller was out of camp and and doing really well. Play, actually worked out a guard and tackle, um, so that was that was nice to see there. Uh, they they're offering some twenty twenty five guys now, which just makes me seem older and older by the minute. Um, but nothing crazy that I saw, Sean. Did you do you want to add anything to that? 
No, like you said, it's kind of been a quiet time right now. Um, it seems like a lot of the focus in Penn State world is folk is on the uh, is on spring ball. Um, you know, in a bit of a a um, turn away from the, all the recruiting news the past few months. Well, let's wrap up the show with talking about Sandy Barber, and not really her, but her replacement. The rumor, at least, or I shouldn't say rumor, but reported by Brett McMurphy was that Sean Frazier, the athletic director at Northern Illinois, was a leading candidate. Uh, He was a former deputy athletic director at Wisconsin, so he has Big Ten experience. He's he's been to a lot of different places. I don't really know much about how to pick an athletic director. I'm not necessarily against... I I don't really care if they stayed in-house or out-of-house as far as Penn State alumni. I don't really care. I don't think that's as important to me as it is for other Penn Staters. Um, but Sean, what do you want to see in this next athletic director? Uh, yeah, I agree with that too, that it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, if there was going to be an in-house guy, I would have liked to see Brandon Short get a shot. Um, uh, Brandon Short, uh, played linebacker at Penn state in the nineties. Um, and he's just a really impressive guy. Um, and really know, and seems to have a firm grasp on what it would take for Penn state to get to that next uh, Penn state football to get to that next level. Um, and I've also heard about Sean Frazier. Um, looks like he's, he's, um, he was, uh, he's noted for being able to fundraise quite well at North, at Northern Illinois. Um, and you know, I would like to see I would like to see that, um, not only for the football program, but also for the basketball program and the other, uh, sports programs at Penn state. Yeah. I mean that, I think fundraising, so let's, I guess, dive into the, the, the thick of it. Fundraising getting the donors maybe the biggest thing that at least the biggest criticism that people had about sandy barber i mean there was talks around what 2015 about new stadium and all this stuff and that i mean they got some things done to be fair but obviously they didn't recruit enough donors specifically for the stadium or else that would have happened and we're not talking about you know a couple fit you know five thousand dollars here ten thousand we're talking about Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not multiple millions. Um, Penn State actually doesn't do extremely well in the donations in that kind of category, from like the the 500,000 to the 1 million, 2 million range. They get some big ones every once in a while. Um, has, you know, wink, wink, Pagula. But as far as getting that kind of middle range... You know, they don't have that Texas oil money, you know what I'm saying, where right. where they're bringing in, you know, multi, multi-million dollar people all the time. That makes a big difference. And and I don't know if that's necessarily Sandy's fault, but that was maybe a knock on her coming in, and I don't necessarily say that it was her strongest part. They got some things done. There was a lot of arguments and debates with the uh, board of trustees, and that, that will continue to happen regardless of the AD. But I would say that Penn State fans, as far as the arms race that is college football, it got better because I think Franklin literally said, I'm leaving if it doesn't get better. But I don't think it got as good as it could have been under Sandy Barber. No, I don't think it would. I don't think it did either. Um, and that would be my biggest issue with Sandy. And to the extent, but it's to the extent that I, I don't really even know how much to put on her um, because for the past. 10 or so years there's been an issue with getting people to donate now penn state has the biggest alumni association in the world um but there is there has been an issue uh with getting especially older donors to donate um and a lot of that stems from some issues that they had with the university's treatment of joe paterno and we're not going to get it into that rabbit hole but like that that is that is still an ongoing issue. Um, I think there's a good argument to be made that maybe somebody in-house who has had connections to the university, especially for a long time, somebody like a Brandon Short, they might be able to unite uh, the donor base um, in donating the money uh, to to the uh, to all the uh, programs. Um and it doesn't help that you have people like Jay Paterno talking about how we don't we don't really need to spend that kind of money into football and just totally ignoring reality. 
Yeah, don't get me started on that hole. I, that's an interesting idea, though, about uniting the donor pool, and I don't, I don't think that's going to be high enough on their list to do something like that. But I, do, I do think that's at least a decent point. Um, and maybe, and maybe it, you know, it sucks for Sandy, but if she is a scapegoat for why they aren't donating, maybe when the new AD comes in, it's maybe a little bit of a fresh blood, a, a, you know, clean slate kind of thing, and we move on. Um, I don't really know how many other ways Penn State could try to unite that group because they have honorary captains all the time that are Joe people. They, I mean, they do everything they literally do besides putting the freaking Joe statue in the middle of the field. So I, I don't know what it would take for them, but it seems like if they bring in a new AD and they're still not on board, I think they start to have to question whether or not they're just Joe Paterno fans or they're actually Penn State fans. But that's that's up for them to figure out internally and not for me to figure out for them or anyone else for that matter. Um, yeah, and it's never enough either for some of these people. Um, they want to honor Joe. and But then when you get into what that what does honor Joe mean, um, it, 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 the, the, the opinion varies. It's just mind-boggling to me that, like you said, some of them are Joe Paterno fans first and Penn State fans second. Um, and look, this isn't supposed to be some pile on Joe. It's not really about him, but it's about the people who put a man who's been dead for 10 years ahead of the interests of the university currently. And I mean, to be fair, I don't have that money. So they can do whatever they want and they feel like that's it. That's fine. But... That is something if Penn State wants to get to the next level, wants to be a continued, you know, a consistent stay in the playoff discussion, that's where they're going to have to get. That's just it. And, and, and if they want to do that, they can. You know, you look at Georgia. Penn State and Georgia both played in the Tax Slayer Bowl the same year. Both programs pretty much – I'm actually – Georgia had an interim coach at the time. So you could argue Penn State was in a better position than Georgia was. Everybody was talking about Florida at the time. They thought maybe Tennessee was coming up. You know, no one really thought of anything for Georgia. But Georgia decided that they wanted to be a playoff team, and they did it. And they did it because they spent the money to do it. Nobody's spending more money than Georgia right now. But they flipped the switch. Um, Josh Pate, fantastic guy, um, good podcast. Mm -hmm. He talks about it all the time. They made the decision to be a playoff team, it's not a cheap one, especially if you're not already there. If Penn State wants to do it and wants to consistently do it, that is a decision that they can make if they choose to, but it's not one that's just going to fall into their lap for them. Yeah, that's not how it works. It doesn't just happen because we are Penn State. You have to spend the money. And like you said, unfortunately right now, you know, and th th this is how it exists for every program, Young people aren't the ones with the money. It's the people in the 40 to 40 and older range that have to donate. So it's incumbent on them if they if if you want to see an elite program, uh, you have to, you have to be willing to spend the money. And is money everything? No, you need the right person to be able to put all that together. You need the right coach and um, and the right execution. Um, and is James Franklin the right coach? I, I, I don't know, but you need to be able to give him the funds or any coach, the funds that he needs. If you want to get to that Georgia, Ohio state, Alabama level, right? If you are going to stay up at night and in, in, you know, different football boards and talk about a certain play call that is the reason why Penn State's not where they're supposed to be or one game was the reason why Penn State hasn't won a national championship and blame James Franklin on and on and on and not mention the fact that they are not putting out the same amount of money as other places then fine so be it but there are enough people that think there's enough money for them to be closer and that's probably true there have been opportunities that Franklin has missed that they could probably be a step or two closer. There's recruits that they have missed. There's players that they just didn't develop the way they were supposed to. There was games that they had opportunities to win that who knows what happens if they win those games. But consistently being there is different than having a generational talent in Saquon Barkley fall in your lap. Yeah, and, you know, do, do I have issues with some of the things James Franklin has done while the, he was the coach? Of course. 
Um, and what we do with this podcast in the fall, I guarantee I'll be complaining about James Franklin at different points. Um, but at the same time, if you, if you, you know, you could in modern college football, you could have Joe Paterno in his prime or Bear Bryant in his prime. And I promise you, they are not going to be winning national championships every single year, or they might not win any without having that funding that the top schools get. I think that's, I think that's just, and, and maybe that what we just nailed so much right there is probably the most important part for this athletic director moving forward for Penn State, whoever they decide to hire. I mean, you, I think there's a lot of things you can take from Sandy that were very important. I think she created stability in the program, which it really needed um, throughout a lot of different places. I mean, she did a fantastic job of that. Um, I think she did a fantastic job of making the university at least a little bit pony up and keeping James Franklin. Maybe when we look back at this in 10 years, the biggest thing she did from a football perspective was keep James Franklin. Maybe it was a worse thing. Who knows? But she did not let the whole thing fall apart at a time where there was opportunities where it could have. And I think that at least right now deserves some credit. Um, I think she did a good job aligning. I think she did a good job keeping um, not necessarily the one team itself, but making it feel like it's one team. Um, and I think there's some positives to take out of it. And there's some things, you know, room to grow for whoever comes in and takes her spot. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a big Penn State basketball fan, too. I think her hire, Micah Shrewsbury, was a very good hire. Um, and she was able to get a big donation before her retirement this summer to the basketball program. So that that's 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 a big thing for me as well. Um, and I agree with you about the stability. Uh, James Franklin was actually here before Sandy Barber. James Franklin was hired by Dave Joyner. And Dave Joyner is probably is maybe the most controversial athletic director in the history of Penn State. Um, you know, that you could say Tim Curley as well. But that was such a it was such a toxic time that she walked into and I do feel like she left the athletic department in a better place. I agree. And I also want to show, talk about great, good hires. Shrewsbury, for sure. I actually still like the women's basketball coach and Caroline Keeger as well. I, had a, I was lucky to meet her as well. I think she will get things turned around there uh, because a lot of those donations and things are going to help the, the women's program as well. Women's hockey and men's hockey have done extremely well. Um I think she was smart by staying in-house to hire a new women's volleyball coach. I, I think there's a lot of things that they've done well that are kind of kind of go under the scene because there isn't a new fancy Beaver Stadium to look at. Um, but also, there people harped on her for some some of the things she did with previous stadium renovations, and I'm wondering if she didn't necessarily want that on her resume. I mean. Or on her legacy. I mean, people will remember that it never got renovated under her, maybe, for another five years. But if it does get renovated, and whether it goes poorly or goes well, people aren't going to really connect Beaver Stadium to Sandy Barber. And maybe that's something she wanted. It could be. I mean, because when it does get, because eventually it um, it's going to get renovated or a new stadium is going to get rebuilt. It's going to be a headache for whoever the next athletic director is. Because stuff like that always is. Um, if you've ever built a house, things don't run on time. Things, you know, you're going to overspend in certain areas. You're going to spend more than you thought. You're you're going to be able to save in some areas that you didn't that you didn't think. But it's going to be a headache, and it's going to be probably the main um, operation of whoever's tenure, uh, the the next athletic director, who, who it's going to be the main thing that the next athletic director works on. I agree. I agree. I think it's something that's going to have to, ha at least, there's going to have to at least be a plan, I think, by 2030. I, I don't think that's too far-fetched to think, okay, we know what we want to do. Maybe it won't be built till, you know, maybe it won't be 100% done, whatever. It's a huge new stadium or whatever the case may be. Maybe that won't be done until 2035 by the time they get all the donations, etc. But I think there's got to be a true plan moving forward, I think, by 2030. So that's, I, I think that's got to happen. So... Um, there was a podcast, Going for Two Podcast. Matt Brown um, writes for um, Extra Point, and he had a podcast come out. 
talking briefly about athletic directors, it's, it's worth the listen. Um, the specific part about Penn State starts around 19 minutes or so. So if you're looking for extra podcast material, uh, check that out. We'll be back next week with a spring preview. Uh, maybe diving a little bit deeper into some more positions that we haven't talked about. A little bit more overview uh, overall. Practice starts next week, or excuse me, tomorrow. Um, so we'll already kind of have some things, hopefully, to discuss um, in that episode as well. Uh, Sean, any final thoughts for you, man? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think I think we're good here, Court. Awesome. Well, Sean, I appreciate you as always. Uh, this is Corey Lestokey for Hardcore Penn State Football. Catch you all next time, everybody. <laughs>